Welcome to Digging In with Missouri Farm Bureau. Janet Atkinson here with you, and we have a special guest joining us for our Farm Bureau series. In fact, we have two special guests joining us. First of all, Missouri Farm Bureau's Spencer Tuma, and also we are joined by U.S. Congressman Mark Alford. He is with Missouri's congressional delegation. And Congressman Alford, thank you very much for taking the time to chat with us. Well, Janet, uh, good to be with you and Spencer. Always a pleasure talking ag in the best ag state in America. There we go. That's a great way to kick it off. Hey, I can't think of no better way to start this conversation, really, really. Now, we kicked off this series back at the end of May, and Spencer joined us for that uh, first in this Farm Bill series. And Congressman Alford, you are on the House Agriculture Committee and getting ready to head into the busy season, or actually already in the busy season, of uh, drafting a Farm Bill. So give us kind of a rundown of how things have been so far. Well, you know, so far, so good. This takes a lot of work. It, it comes uh, about every five years uh, that uh, we put together a farm bill. It expires at the end of September, as your uh, listeners probably know. And it's important that we that we really get this done on time. Uh, we've got a lot going on in Congress when we get back to uh, in session, I think, on September 8th. So we won't have a long time. Uh, but uh, we're hoping it, at worst case, we might have an extension. Uh, best case, get it done by the end of September. Congressman, you mentioned timing. And I think, you know, as I've been interacting with our members today, even uh, at our commodity conference, we've I've had a lot of questions about, you know, what does the timeline look like? And I've shared with them that there's certainly a lot on the congressional to-do list when you all return from the August in-state work period, uh, not just the farm bill expiring on September 30th, but also, you know, government funding and trying to find a solution related to that. You know, uh, there aren't a lot of legislative days between now and September 30th. So how do you see that whole conversation playing out, not just with the farm bill, but in some ways with the appropriations process, which we know will have right. an impact? farm bill discussions. Well, Spencer, you're absolutely correct. There are not a lot of legislative days left. Uh, we might have to be working overtime on this. It's going to be up to the uh, uh, majority leader, uh, the uh, Steve Scalise, uh, our whip Tom Emmert, and uh, of course, our Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, as to the path we want to go down this. Uh, we have appropriation bills to pass in addition to this, 12 separate appropriation bills. And so uh, depending on how fast those get through, what type of uh, uh, floor time we get, I know G.T. Thompson, our chair, uh, who was uh, at the state fair just recently, told the audience that a lot's going to depend on how much floor time uh, we get on the House floor. We're going to need about a week uh, to get through the farm bill and to vote on the different amendments. So uh, hopefully, like I said, by the end of September, if not, uh, an extension on that, and and most certainly through uh, the end of the year, we should be able to get something done. Congressman, there's been conversation uh, leading up to this point that some of the other measures that have been undertaken under this administration that have helped out under the nutrition program might make it easier to go through the farm bill process this time around. Is that still the case, or do we still expect there to be uh, some push and pull whenever it comes to the idea of keeping the nutrition title in the farm bill? Well, look, I am all for keeping the three legs of the stool as I have uh, described it together because it's a symbiotic relationship between protecting our farmers with the safety nets that they need, uh, feeding our nation with a SNAP program, and then the conservation programs 
uh, without uh, the great conservation work that our farmers, ranchers, and producers do, we don't have crops to to sell them and, and eat off of. So uh, it's important that we keep these together. Uh, as your listeners probably know, the supplemental nutritional program this year is going to be about 81% of the food uh, farm bill. Uh, but this is really a, it is a food security bill when it comes to the SNAP program and a, a job training program, almost, if you will. Uh, uh, what most people don't realize is that uh, a large portion of the uh, SNAP program has to do with uh, job placement, job training to get people off of this temporary supplemental nutritional program and back in the workforce. Uh, the average time that someone's on the SNAP program uh, isn't that long. And the average payout uh, on the SNAP program, uh, we used to call it food stamps, is about $258 a week. So to feed a family on that for a week uh, with the way that Joe Biden has created inflation in our nation with food prices going up even today and utility prices, um, $258 doesn't go that far. So we have to make sure that these stay together uh, that our farmers are protected, that our nation is fed, and we're good conservators with God's creation. Congressman, you know, we were at the Missouri State Fair recently, and uh, you actually were able to bring a bipartisan panel of members of the House Ag Committee to the Missouri State Fair to talk about farm bill priorities. And I think it was a, a good display of the three-legged stool you mentioned earlier in your comments. Can you share some of your biggest takeaways from that event and uh what maybe you plan to personally carry forward as priorities into this next farm bill? Sure. Just a little background. The Ag Committee is a bipartisan committee, and there's been very little uh, uh, aggressive debate during our committee hearings. Uh, there's been some tough questions from the uh, witnesses and some, as there should be, to get uh, answers out that, that we need to make our, our decisions. But during these listening sessions, G.T. Thompson has made it clear we want uh, Democrats there as well as Republicans. So I went out of my way to uh, invite a couple of Democrats to come to Missouri who had never been here before and seen the heart of Missouri and the heart of America. And one of those was the son of Jesse Jackson, a Democrat. His name is Jonathan Jackson. He's from Chicago, the south side of Chicago. Uh, and he had never he had been to St. Louis in Kansas City, but never to really the heart of Missouri and the 4th Congressional District of the State Fair. And I wanted him to see that because uh, if you're very concerned with a supplemental nutritional program, as he is, and keeping those benefits uh, for his constituents and, and for America, you've got to know where that food comes from, the, the entire picture. Uh, and so I wanted him to see that firsthand. I wanted him to meet uh, uh, producers and, and, and individuals who showed up at the listening tour, people in key overalls with dirt under their fingernails and people who are experiencing the drought that we're going through right now and hearing their stories and, and what they wanted to see in the farm bill. Because without that piece of information, one might think on, on the Democrat side that, uh, hey, we've got to feed our people, we've got to feed our nation, but not much consideration about how we get that done. And so being able to open the eyes of someone who's never been to the state fair. Uh, he, he ended up milking a cow. Uh, he met FFA members who he didn't even know the FFA existed. Here's someone who's on the ag committee and he was so impressed by the future farmers of America. He was intent on trying to start one, I think in the South side of Chicago. 
And uh, it just blew me away that uh, the understanding that he was able to develop there. Um, again, we're diametrically opposed when it comes to most political uh, ideologies. But when it comes to the farm bill, I think we're we're together on that. And I think he has a better appreciation of the crop insurance programs that we need for our farmers so they can get the loans, so they can buy their seed, their fertilizer and their fuel. Um, as far as the priorities go, uh, in addition to just keeping keeping this together, uh, one of the things we're really trying to push, and I think we've got a very good chance of getting it in uh, the Farm Bill this year is our A-plus Act, the amplifying processing of livestock in the U.S. Uh, you know, livestock auction markets uh, call the marketing agencies selling commissions. And right now, they're not able by law to invest or take part in management or operation of packing plants or meet marketing processes or businesses because of the Packers and Stockyards Act, which is almost 100 years old now. It's outdated. And so now there are a lot of transparent methods of selling livestock that they used to not have back then. Viewers can can see all the transactions either in person. You can even stream them online. So we're trying to open this up where the livestock industry is, is focused on um, really growing their businesses. Uh, families like the Herzogs in my district, uh, they were the, one of the reasons we we came up with the A-plus Act. It's going to increase packer competition for livestock, and it's it's going to remove a lot of these unnecessary barriers, and I think overall lower uh, the cost of the of the, the meat for the consumer. Um, we we want to keep our crop insurance in place, do no harm to that. Uh, we've, we've talked about how it's vital uh, that we have these safety nets for our producers. Um, and uh, we're also supporting funding for the Title III trade programs like the Foreign Market Development Program and the Market Assistant Program because we feel like they're vital to increasing the free trade access and product promotion overseas. This is so, so very vital to our producers in Missouri, and we want to expand those programs. Congressman, of course, you guys are continuing your efforts on the farm bill, but have you heard any rumors or have you had the chance to tech, uh, connect with your counterparts on the other side of the hill? As far as the farm bill goes? Yes, sir. Yeah, what's going to happen in the Senate? Oh, in the Senate. Oh, okay, the other side of the hill. Uh, see, I'm new to politics, so I, all this lingo is new. That's okay. No worries. <laughs> the, the senators... Uh, I have not had any personal contact with them. I know that GT Thompson has. He's been working with his counterparts over there. GT is actually going to, when we get to conference, he is going to chair the conference, which is a big deal uh, for us this year. I have not had any personal contact uh, with anyone, any senator regarding the ag, the farm bill. You know, I think there's historically certainly been, you know, a difference in what the House ultimately puts through and, and what the Senate puts through as well. And, and that does underscore really, as you mentioned, the importance of the conference committee process to really work out those differences. Um, I'm not sure the Senate's on as fast of a track as the House of Representatives is. And I, I joke with others on our team sometimes as a former House staffer myself, I would always argue that the House is a lot more efficient with your time. Um, but I I digress. I will not. Uh, my my <laughs> counterparts or former Senate staffers are not here to defend themselves. Um, but along those same lines of, you know, working with the Senate to sort out those differences. One thing I think our members are, are curious your take on, and I know that you're going to play a role in um, over half of our uh, members of Congress in, in both the Senate and the House total 
are new to the farm bill process. They were mm -hmm. not here the last time a farm bill was passed. And um, last time, as you know, was in 2018. And so many people have have retired or left office and we've got a lot of new folks. So so what do you see as the biggest barriers and challenges to kind of selling the farm bill, if you will, to your your fellow freshmen, your fellow counterparts? Um, and how do you plan to address that sort of thing? Well, I, I think it's education. There are some very, very conservative members uh, in our, our conference right now who are not exactly excited about uh, the farm bill when it comes to the SNAP program. Uh, and look, we've made some changes in that already. Uh, we have upped the requirements uh, to get SNAP benefits uh, from 49 to 54 years of age. And the Democrats were uh, crying and, and screaming that, oh, you're making you're going to make elderly people go hungry. And I assure them, look, I'm going to be 60 in October. 54 is not elderly. It's not too <laughs> old to be out looking for a job, volunteering 20 hours a week, uh, having some sort of job training or actually getting a job. And so we're not pushing anyone over the cliff and not letting them eat. Uh, we want to make it a sensible program, go back to our pre-COVID levels uh, where we are giving people food or assistance who truly need it. And uh, we think that's very reasonable. We've also got to get with, rid of the, the waste and the fraud in the program. It does exist. Um, and that's been a focus in some of our hearings. How do, we, how do we change the program to where we have a better grip on the waste and fraud in the SNAP program? And I think the, our, our members who are, are concerned about that are interested in hearing uh, those ideas as well. Uh, when it comes to the protection for the farmers and the safety nets, uh, some are not keen on that either. But I think a large part of it, and I've explained this to some of the members who didn't understand how this works, without those safety nets, our farmers and producers can't get the loans they need to buy, as we said before, the food, fertilizer, and fuel uh, to harvest and, and then uh, reap the financial benefit and repay those loans. That's how a lot of farms operate. And so I think it's just a matter of educating, sitting down with people one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. I like to do that in the house cafeteria or the dining room or get someone aside and just have a conversation. Uh, one, one of the things I've learned really quick about Washington, D.C., if you, if you can get someone aside and talk to them eye to eye rather than screaming uh, at each other or, or uh, sniping at each other on social media, it goes a long way towards reaching some sort of consensus and resolution on on just about anything you do. And Congressman, on that note, you yourself, you've not been in Washington, D.C. too terribly long. So how's the experience been so far up to this point? It's been uh, challenging, eye opening, invigorating you know, I was in the media for 35 years and I wanted to be a broadcaster and a storyteller since I was in fifth grade. And I had a lot of passion in uh, getting to where I was in my career and, and did quite well. Uh, I have never had this much passion, focus, direction or energy for anything in my entire lifetime. And I think that's it's very rare that someone my age uh, gets a, a second bite at the apple, a second shot at a great career. And uh, I don't know how long it's going to last. As long as God and the voters want me there, I'm going to I'm going to do my best uh, for them to be their voice and their vote in Washington. Uh, but I'm I'm ha actually having a good time. I know people wanted me to go up there and clean out the swamp, and and I do understand there are a lot of things that need to be changed in Washington. But uh, I am 
very active, not just on our ag committee, but also on our armed services committee. Uh, I know this isn't a show about that, but the pacing threat from communist China is very real. And I, I like to say the, the threat is real and the time is now. The time is now for America to wake up. And it does have to do with our food security to some degree. And when you have China buying up farmlands and sensitive lands around our military bases, that's not a good thing. When you have Chinese corporations buying into um, some of our meatpacking plants and, and other things like that, adversarial nations that could have an influence in times of conflict with that nation about how Americans are fed or not fed and how food is distributed and how it's exported or imported. And so we've just we have to make sure uh, that we are, are doing the right things now to prepare for a possible conflict with China. I'm also on the Small Business Committee, and uh, I didn't originally want to be on that. I was uh, encouraged by Speaker McCarthy to take up this position, and I'm so glad I did because you know, our farmers and producers are really small business owners, and there are so many small business owners in our district. Um, I, I want to help them. I want to help simplify the Small Business Administration to make it a more user-friendly experience where you're not having to track some, down someone for information or help. And um, we introduced the CERVE Act under that. That's a uh, bipartisan bill to help veterans as they leave the service, uh, help them start up a small business. One of my former um, uh, opponents in the primary race, Taylor Burks, a former uh, county clerk for Boone County. He came and actually testified. We asked him to, to testify before our small business committee about uh, some of the challenges that veterans face. He's a veteran himself uh, in starting a small business. And based on his testimony, we crafted the CERV Act uh, that I think is going to help a lot of people. So those three, three committees that we're on, I am loving it. Uh, I like being in D.C., but I love being back in the district. We're, we have a series of town hall meetings starting next week. We're going to hit uh, 10 to 12 towns and, and have eye-to-eye conversations with uh, not just Republicans. I'm very clear on this. I want everyone to turn out. I don't care if you're Democrat, Republican, independent, or agnostic. I represent 774,027 people in the 4th Congressional District. And uh, I represent everyone. I want to hear from everyone. Congressman, I'm, I didn't warn Janet I was going to do this, but it occurred to me as you were answering that question um, that this is the first time you've actually been a guest on Digging In. And we I probably should have asked this at the beginning, but you know, we've, we've heard all about your legislative history and your committee assignments. But tell us just about, you know, who who is Mark Alford? Right. Tell us a little <laughs> bit about yourself, about your family um, and, and about your roots in the district. And that way our, our listeners can get to know you a little better. Sure. Uh, I'll give you my little little elevator pitch. How's that sound that I'm, I'm, it took Perfect. on the, the trail? So um, I'm originally from Baytown, Texas, 20 miles east of Houston. Uh, I grew up in the rice fields there. There were We used to go hunting crawdads uh, in the rice fields uh, when I'd get home from school. My dad was a Texas Ranger, special Texas Ranger, and later became an ag teacher uh, in high school and then taught horticulture on the college level. Um, my mom is a school bus driver. She later ended up uh, working for Exxon Legal Department. Exxon was based there uh, for many years. And um, I grew up, my uncle was an anchorman in Oklahoma City, and uh, I wanted to follow in his footsteps. So everything I did since fifth grade was was geared towards that. And I used to uh, write stories in notebooks and short stories. And I was always telling stories and interviewing people and 
Um, everything I did was geared towards a, a job in television. Uh, my dreams came true actually in college when I went to the University of Texas at Austin. I got on the air as a sophomore uh, doing a, an investigation of tow truck drivers who were ripping people off. And um, I started my career even during college and uh, met my wife at a TV station in Waco. She was a producer there and I was a reporter. And uh, we moved to West Palm Beach. I was an environmental reporter. I uh, did a lot of work with the sugarcane industry out there. Uh, some very interesting stories on uh, sugarcane. And um, then we moved back to Texas, uh, which was my home state. Wanted to get back home. Uh, I anchored in Dallas and in Houston, my hometown. And then in 1998, we moved to Kansas City, uh, my wife's hometown, to be closer to her parents. And we started uh, anchoring a, a morning show here, which was in third place when we got here. And uh, within a few months, with the help of our team, not just me, we, we took it to number one and stayed that way for 24 years. When Vicki Hartzler, my predecessor and a great friend to ag in, in Missouri, when she decided to run for U.S. Senate office, I decided that uh, I had been trying to find something different to do with my life, to put my skills that God had give, has given me, and I had honed over 35 years, to do something for my country. Because I, I just felt like we are such a state in our country right now that, and I've never felt this way before the last couple of years, that we are in danger of losing what we have, the most precious uh, nation, uh, the greatest nation, I think, known to man. Um and I'm going to get a little political here, but when Joe Biden uh, two years ago pulled out of Afghanistan the way he did and left our friends and allies there clinging to planes, trying to get out of Afghanistan, um, and then 13 service members died there at the Kabul airport, uh, that was the final straw for me. I knew right then and there I was going to get in this race. I was going to put everything I, I had on the line. I quit my job. I had a very good real estate career that I had to give up as well. And um, Leslie uh, stuck with me and still by my side in this because she, she feels the same way I do. We, count, we, we traveled to 24 counties during that time period uh, in the 4th Congressional District. And I met with as many farmers as I could, as many business owners, uh, county commissioners, anyone who I could listen to and get their story of what they wanted me to do in Washington. And I think what kind of set us apart during the campaign was that I think we've got it, we have gotten it wrong, especially when it comes to the U.S. House of Representatives, that it's not a place for career politicians. It's for people to go from all walks of life, uh, farmers and teachers like, you know, Vicki Hartzer, a, a great teacher. And uh, she and Lowell have the case uh, IH uh, uh, dealerships there in the Harrisonville area. Uh, business owners, people from all walks of life to go there and be a voice for the people. To And to be a voice for someone, you have to listen to them. And that's what I was trained to do in my my career as a, a reporter and a journalist. And so it's really odd how the, the skills that really the skill sets that I learned in journalism has transformed into this career in politics. Now, instead of producers, I have a great staff of 18 people, nine in Washington, D.C., and nine here in the district who help me uh, formulate what I'm doing every day, the people we're talking with, uh, helping people in the district from passport issues to VA benefits. Uh, and then once we're up in D.C., uh, 
helping me craft speeches on, for floor speeches and um, our committee work, doing the research and helping me with that. And so I'm just blessed uh, beyond measure to have this seat uh, and to have so many young, talented people like Madeline Dirks, who who worked for Vicki as well and now is our senior legislative uh, assistant uh, specializing in ag. Um, I just I feel like I am right where I, God wants me to be at this time in history for whatever I can do for our country. Well, Congressman Alford, we appreciate your time. And I got a special guest now sitting down to join us. And if folks have been wondering why there's a little bit of music in the background, well, that's because we are in the Capitol Plaza Hotel in downtown Jefferson City. And President Hawkins just sat down here to join us. He just got done hosting a panel discussion. And uh, so he's here with us as well, Congressman. Hey, Garrett, how are you? I am great. It's great to hear your voice. I tell you, I think my new intro for you is Congressman Alford brings the energy. <laughs> well, I don't know if I have more energy than you, but it is great. Uh, I, I tell you what, Garrett and Janet, I am excited. I was excited at the, the Farm Bill listening session. I was excited walking around talking with people. Every day I'm excited about what we, number one, what we have in America. I am so uh I'm so blessed to have this position and blessed to live in the greatest land ever. And, and, and having just this opportunity, as I know you guys are on the Farm Bureau, to make a positive change in, in people's lives. Uh, and a lot of people have careers where they're not afforded that, I think, that blessing, uh, where they're dealing in negativity for whatever reason. But this is a this is a positive thing that we're doing. We're helping our farmers, our ranchers, and our producers. We are raising up a new generation of uh, ag related industries and and uh, ideas, cover crops, uh, uh, renewable fuels, things that are exciting in America that we are helping grow. And I don't know about you, Gary, but that is exciting to me. It is exciting. And I'd say just how appropriate is it that you're uh, on our Digging In pod podcast, because that's, in fact, what you're doing every day. You and your team are digging in. Uh, you listen. You're asking not just easy questions. You're asking the tough questions. And I love the fact that you're helping us on common sense conservation and truly trying to make sure that Missouri farmers and ranchers are represented in this farm bill debate and, and in other arenas in Washington, D.C. So thank you. Thank you again for what you did at the State Fair, bringing G.T. Thompson here. Uh, it's always such, so neat when you can have the chair of the House Ag Committee here in Missouri, uh, along with uh, Congressman Jackson, as well as Congresswoman De La Cruz. It was such a great experience, and it was all brought about because of your persistent efforts to make sure that Missouri farm families are heard. So thank you. Well, thank you, Garrett. I just want to assure everyone, like the Farm Bureau, uh, I'm here to listen, but I'm also here to fight. And uh, whatever I can do uh, to help ag, not just in the 4th Congressional District, but the state of Missouri, uh, I'm going to be there and our crew is going to be there uh, to take the fight to Washington and tell the stories. This is so important to tell the stories of the people of our district, not just in Washington, but in the national media, so that the people living in the blue states on the coast can get a proper understanding that this isn't flyover country. This is the heart of America. 
And we have that name for a reason, not just because they're centrally located, but we have the heart for people. Well, Congressman Alford, thank you very much for your time to join us. And President Hawkins, thank you for zipping over here to sit down. And Spencer Tuma also joining us for this week's conversation. Again, this is the part of the Farm Bill series of our podcast. We'll have another one for you at the end of September. I'm Janet Atkinson with Digging In with Missouri Farm Bureau.